All right, competitors, on this brand new episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast, we're talking about what does it mean to pick the right kind of fight. What's up, competitors, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast. My name is Jake Thompson. I'm excited you're here. If this is your first episode, welcome to the show. You picked a great one to kick it off with. And if you've been back time and time again, thank you. Thank you so incredibly much for investing time to hang out with me, listen to some of these amazing conversations, and most importantly, invest in yourself so that you can be the competitor that leads, that inspires, that helps others succeed too, while you yourself are living your best life, creating that life and that person you want to become. So props to you. Thank you for hanging out with us. And also a special thank you to each and every one of you listening who have come out strong and supported the Compete Everyday book launch. If you have missed out, then know that for the last year plus, I have been working on my very first book, and it is finally here. Early copies are available at book.competeeveryday.com, and you can get the Kindle version on Amazon, ebook on Apple iTunes, and your favorite ebook reader, but those copies will not be available to download until June 1st. In fact, because of timing with my publisher and when this will release in bookstores and on Amazon, those copies won't actually release until the fall. So the only way to get an early copy, an early release bonus is to go to book.competeeveryday.com, grab your paperback copy of Compete Every Day, the not-so-secret secret to winning your work and life. In the book, I dive into the seven key choices leaders make every single day to set themselves apart. How we don't look for those immediate results, but continuing to make the right choices to show up and compete every day and create our best career, our best relationships, and our best life. And so if you're looking for that edge, if you're looking to discover why success seems to escape you in certain areas, how some people seem to continually rack up win after win after win, or more importantly, you're just looking to come out of this current time, this mess, with a stronger mindset, a little more mental toughness, a tougher amount of grit, and a competitor mindset to set yourself up so that the second half of 2020 is better than the first ever could have been before COVID hit. Then go to book.competeeveryday.com, grab your copy. Early release bonuses are all available for any order through May 31st, including decals, bookmarks, a personalized autograph uh, in every book. That's right. For every person that's ordering it, I'm writing a personalized message to each and every one of you in every copy ordered before June 1st. So pick up your copy today. If you want to grab copies for friends, for teammates, for your company, uh, we have all sorts of pre-order bonuses and bundles available for three and 10 packs. If you decide you need more than 10 copies to give out, shoot us an email to bookclub at competeeveryday.com and we can talk to you about our bulk buy program and getting those into your team hands, your employees' hands, or maybe just each and every person you come across that know you know needs that competitor mindset. Now, Without further ado, before we dive into the show, I want to remind you to shoot me a note to podcast at competeeveryday.com with any questions, comments, feedback about the show. And as always, if you are not in our free Facebook group, I want to ask you why. What are you holding out for? If it's because you don't love Facebook, that I get. But shoot me an email to podcast at competeeveryday.com so I can make sure you get into our May challenge that we are doing right now as a community 
every month a new challenge, either a physical fitness one, a mental one, a leadership challenge, but something every single month to help you continually build that competitor mindset. So when you look back a year from now, you can see the growth that you made as an individual in your mindset, in your confidence, and in your life. So join us at facebook.com slash groups slash compete every day. And now, let's talk about picking a fight with David Burkus. David, welcome to the Compete Everyday Podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Man, I've been looking forward to this interview, not only because we run in some of the same circles with our speaking and and writing, but uh, having had the chance to read, or I should say read, listen to your You can read with your ears. You can totally read with your ears. Totally read with your your ears. Pick a fight. Uh, And this is something that's passionate for me uh, because I feel like we are a very mission-driven organization, uh, really trying to rally our community as much as our internal team. But this is something that obviously is passionate to you, something that you see with great organizations that they have a purpose to rally around. Before we dive into the book, what inspired you to write it? I'm curious what the fight is you have. What is your fight on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, I mean, I, I say it in a couple different ways. Uh, the larger sort of outward is I, I really, I joke that I'm fighting to make work not suck, right? Or at least suck a little bit less. I think that work and, and what we do for 40 plus or minus hours a week is so important to the rest of our lives. Like I think that work-life balance is a myth or is a fool's errand because if you work in an environment that's toxic, that drains you, that frustrates you, you drag that home with you. You drag that to your friends. It's not about like, we talk about work-life balance, like it's just, oh, if we get the number of hours right, then we've solved work-life balance. No, it's not about that, right? Because these spheres of our life interject like we've we've all had that situation at work right where we get a call from like the school about our kid right or some other thing like that and suddenly the whole work day is shot and we never pay attention to the fact that the same thing happens that crappy toxic day that you've had at work you bring home with you when you when you're back in the driveway and your kids are wanting to play or your spouse or parts wanting to to hang out and you're still in that sort of toxic negative mood so if we can change that and create a place for most people where the workplace is actually energizing where people where people don't leave drained they actually leave with more energy than they came before where they have that sense of purpose etc that we don't just change like the workplace like it's great there's a bunch of ROI numbers I could give on how much more profitable companies will be and all that sort of, but the truth is the the world will be a better place because our lives will be better if this thing that is central to our life work actually gets better why do you think and just out of curiosity why do you think so many of us stay stuck in those negative situations. Uh, I mean, I, you, in terms of you're in a toxic work environment, and you, yeah, just don't to- leave. you just don't leave. Cause I, I, and I laugh because I had conversations with our Facebook community and, and posted just a question of what's one thing that at the time looked terrible for you was one of the worst things. And then looking back a year, five years, 10 years, you're like, that was the best thing that could happen. And a lot of people were like, I was fired from a job. I hated every single day. And it's the best thing that ever happened to me. And I never would have left had I not been fired. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, a lot of it is as humans, we're terrible at foresight, right? Like, and there's a ton of like, from a, from a nerd perspective, Dan Gilbert is a, a research psychologist that does a ton of work in this as does uh, Barry Schwartz around happiness and around forecasting and making pre- I mean, Dan Ariely around predictably irrational 
all of them show that we're really terrible at looking at the future, considering different scenarios, and then making an accurate depiction of where they're going to be. Like one of my favorite things to tell people in terms of should I quit my job is literally like, sure, or don't, whatever, right? Because you're, you're, you're in control. The truth is we have no way of knowing kind of ahead of time. Um, but I'm with you, right? Like we're going to see this right now. We're recording this in the midst of this, um, not only a, a COVID-19 crisis, but a, a recession and unemployment. There's 16 million people now filing for unemployment insurance in the United States. And that is 16 million people. Some of them have been forced out of that toxic environment. And God, I hope that they realize that this is actually a wonderful opportunity. But a lot of it is that we're terrible at forecasting. And so the, 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 the devil you know, the enemy that, uh, then the toxicity that you actually know and can handle sounds better than looking for something else. I, I mean, me personally, I have no idea why, but I also sort of have career ADHD where about every six or seven years I get bored and start doing something else anyway. So um, I, have, I, I, I feel like I can sympathize with that mentality, but I can't empathize with it, if that makes sense. It does. It does. And I, I think we're very similar in terms of the, the career ADHD as, as some of my team members might laugh with some of the directions we've done. And it's funny you, you said that as well. And I think a lot of it, you know, our mutual friend, Phil Jones talks about, uh, you know, how many people love change and everybody, of course, in the audience is like, oh yeah. And then he's would have them do an exercise. He's like, no, you don't. None of us like yeah. change. And so we stay miserable because we don't like the idea of change. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a bit like, it's, it's a bit like um, uh, the, the inverse is also true. Like Tony Robbins once had this bit where he'd be like, how many of you like surprises? And then he'd be like, bull crap. No one, you like surprises that you like. Yeah. You don't like, you know, surprise, you have cancer. Nobody likes that, right? The difference is that element of mystery, right? Which is seeing on the other end of that. We would, if we knew we were being surprised by something we like, we love it. If we don't know, then we get terrified, right? And since we don't know in this case, um, what's going to happen? You know, the other thing though that we, have to, that we have to talk about when we think about toxic work environments, et cetera, is that's on the individual, right? The bigger question I've never figured out, and, and I feel like I'm stumbling around the answer in Pick a Fight, is why do so many managers, senior leaders, business owners, whoever's actually in charge of the culture, just think it's okay to just, meh, we do our job, we, we all move on. And that subtly creates that exact same toxic environment too. Like just as, just as odd to me that people don't leave and go do something that is more inspiring, it's odd to me that a lot of leaders don't feel the urgency to level up their actual organization as well. I've never been able to figure that one out. And that, that would probably be why you and I both have speaking business because your work focuses on that. Mine is around the idea of, of that leadership development, showing up, getting people in your organization to compete. How do you bring it out of them? How do you encourage yeah. your leaders to do it? One of the things I'm fascinated by is when we, when I first joined kind of our, our group and gotten to see some of your work and connected with you, a lot of your work at the time was around networking and, and yeah building those relationships. And I laugh because last year in a failed attempt to try to build better networking after going to event after event, that was just <laughs> business cards vomited on me. And then people yeah. would move off. I grabbed the domain networking doesn't have to suck and just started hosting like a happy hour every month for friends to say, Hey, I know these people you're in fitness, you're in sales. Let's just grab a beer and hang out. It didn't go very well due to a number of different factors, but you had like an incredibly famous TED talk on this. And I think it's what a million, almost 2 million views you've had on that thing. 
Yeah. Well, okay. So I got, so I got to, I got to pare down. So I had, okay. I have a Ted talk and I have a TEDx talk. The TEDx is on networking. It's, I mean, it's several hundred thousand at this point. Okay. The TED, the TED talk is the one at 2 million. And that's actually on a total, again, this whole sort of intellectual ADHD that's on, um, salary transparency and allowing teams to basically know each other's score. Right. Okay. Um, so, that, so yeah, that's so my fault on confusing the two because no, I no, knew no, no that. Worries. But the, you did one on, so the TEDx talk was on how to hack networking. Hack networking, and, yep. Yeah, yep. and your last book was on the friend of a friend of a friend. Friend of a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend of a, yeah, 16, I think, the last okay. time I counted, but that was like two years ago on the cover. It's a beautiful cover. I had nothing to do with the cover. Fantastic cover. How did you go from, I mean, I would say that salary transparency, <laughs> networking, I, I, I see it when I see your mission, but now talking about picking a fight, how did you kind of make those, your last book to now this book, audio yeah. book, how did you make that transition? What inspired of like, I mean, this is great. I like talking about friends of a friends and how we build referrals and networking, but man, I'm really passionate about this message of having something to fight for. Yeah. Well, the through line through all of my work, I would say is teams, right? So my first book was around creativity and innovation, but specifically, the, I mean, the big one-liner from that whole book was that creativity is a team sport. It's not about the lone genius. It's about the team and the process that the team goes through. Um, under new management, which is the one that the salary transparency came up with, was, was there are a lot of different ways that teams are working in this newer sort of creative era, right? We've moved from like industrial work to knowledge work to now everybody is in charge of solving problems. So what does it look like to manage a team that looks like that? Um, friend of a friend is sort of half personal networking and then half the organization as a network and how teams come through that. So that's been sort of the through line. And it's really been, I mean, it's been a matter of problem finding your, I mean, your work is similar to this too, where you start off and you think, oh, I'm going to talk about this. And then as you talk about it and then people go, well, yeah, but what about when this happens? And you're like, okay, well, let's explore that. So like, it was a book about creativity and teams. And then that led, was just missive creativity. Then that led to people going, okay, but what changes do we need to make as an organization? Oh, that's a good question. All right, so that became under new management, right? And then one of the one of the core ideas under new management is that the best teams don't actually stay together for very long, right? I mean, you think about sports franchises and that sort of stuff. You key players stick around for a really long time, but the team itself refreshes every season, right? And to its benefit, well, unless you're like the, I don't know, uh, the well, what's on your shirt, the Carolina Panthers. Unless you're like oh. them, that might not benefit you. <laughs> Man, well, at least look, I'm not dude, a Houston Texans fan. This no, that's fair. That's all dude, I can dude, say. Dude, my, uh, my, my, uh, my, I was born in Philadelphia, so I'm an Eagles fan, which was awesome two years ago, but is only ever awesome once every 20 years, right? Um, so, so that, I mean, there's a, there was that um, inside of a friend of a friend. And then, of course, I mean, pick a fight answers that question of like, okay, what does it actually take to get a team aligned and motivated around one mission? We understand the importance of purpose for sure. We all know that we need to have purpose. We all know we need to sort of start with why. But a lot of leaders still suck at conveying a purpose that actually is aligning and meaningful. I mean, I can't tell you how many organizations even now are talking about, even now in our current environment are talking about growth as if it's a purpose, right? Or, uh, I mean, a lot of people have overcome this idea of shareholder value sort of as a purpose, but they're picking certain things to focus on that are not sort of truly inspiring um, because they don't get, I mean, at their core, and we say this in the book, people don't want to join just companies anymore. They want to join a crusade. They want to know that they're making the world a better place. And a lot of leaders still don't know how to do that. So that was, that became kind of pick a fight. So that's really been the core through line is as different questions about how do you effectively lead teams come up? We answer them in different ways. And it, it looks on the surface, dude, I totally get it. It looks like, again, intellectual ADHD, we're jumping around through all sorts of things, but that's at least how I 
have reconciled it in my head is that if I can make the core unit of work, which is the team, if I can make that suck less, then maybe I can make the whole workplace suck less. Yeah, no, and, and I, as you explained it uh, so well right there, I see that through line much better uh, knowing kind of your books and your content and a lot of the videos and stuff you've been putting out. And as listeners are hearing this, we've, we've talked it a few times, but your new release is just audiobook. It is audiobook yeah. only, which as I talked about off air, a lot of people hear audiobook and they're like, oh God, it's eight hours, it's 10 <laughs> hours. I, I can't commit to that. And, and yeah. But this one is fascinating because it's two-ish hours. It's kind of like listening to- Two hours to, and four minutes. It's less than your average Joe Rogan or Tim Ferriss podcast. Yeah. And, and you read it. And, and that was the thing we talked about too is I, I'm, I'm biased, but when an author reads their own book, it creates a different dynamic. And with this type of message on picking a fight, I think it needed your voice to tell the stories, to talk about it, to, to hear it. And so I'm just curious about what were the initial stages of this that really kind of helped plant the seed of like, oh, I need to start pulling on this thread or finding out more about this and writing about it. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I joked earlier that I'm from Philadelphia and most people from Philadelphia, I mean, Philadelphians are known for two things, right? Um, booing Santa Claus and- <laughs> So glad that was what you said because it's the first thing that popped in my head. Booing, booing Santa Claus and underdogs, right? Like think yeah. about it. Our, our greatest sports hero for the entire city, our greatest sports hero is a fictional character who loses a boxing match right? Rocky yeah. Balboa, right? That's our great, Rocky Balboa, the ultimate sort of underdog story. We're always, and even, I mean, I don't know that we've ever been predicted to win in any sports league, but we're, we're all, even if we were, people would still treat us like the underdogs because we thrive on that. So that's me personally too. So, you know, to be quite candid, I um, started exploring this after Friend of a Friend because it was about great, the people that were around have a huge influence on us. Um, but how do we make sure that those people are, that that influence is positive, that those teams are, are motivated, et cetera. And, and originally, it was actually around this idea that the teams that gel together the fastest tend to be the ones that are experiencing some sort of outside threat or outside adversity, right? So we're looking, I mean, right now, where we are right now is a great example of this. As a globe, we are experiencing this outside threat and we come together, right? Or you look at natural disasters or you look at um, terrorist attacks, those sort of things, people become more pro-social when those things are acted against. The problem is you can't just sort of sit around and wait for bad things to happen in order to bond your team. So that led to this whole idea of like, what if the flip side is true, right? What, what if what is that outside thing is, is, a, is a, a possible future, right? That needs to be changed, otherwise that bad thing will happen. What would you call that? And then that led to thinking about it as revolutions, thinking about it as reformations, uh, resistance, all of that. And then we finally arrived at this idea of like, it's a fight. It's not a fight in the sense of like a, I mean, I wish I could make it that way, a Rocky Balboa sort of boxing match, but it's, the, it's a fight the way we talk about we're fighting for a better future, or we're fighting for um, some sort of change or revolution. So that, the reason I say fight more so than you know, your why or more so than your purpose or your mission, vision, or values is that a fight conveys that there, there are stakes. There is, if we don't do this, there is, a bad, there is a bad future that will happen and a good future that ha will happen. And we're actually in control of that based on how serious we take it. Whereas I think a purpose a lot of times just conveys, we can all work together for this positive future, but doesn't actually convey that stakes. And you need that stakes for bonding and, and motivation. So that's sort of how we arrived at the idea of calling it a, a fight. And truthfully, to me, it's actually a double meaning. So you have to pick a fight because you've got to find that thing that your people are worth fighting for. You need to give your people an answer to the question, what are we fighting for? 
but you also have to choose your fight wisely because where a lot of business especially goes wrong is they pick a fight against a competitor instead of something larger than that. And we, we actually know from relatively recent research that that very rarely works. And most of the time when it does work, it works on your competitor. Like people are more motivated when you're trash talking at them than your team is by your trash talking. So um, picking a fight against a competitor very rarely works. It needs to be that larger, bigger thing. So yeah, you got to pick a fight, but you have to choose your fight wisely as well. Well, and, and the, a couple of things you said there that, that I love, it, the, mission, the mission statements, the values, most times it's so passive. Like we see mm -hmm. it, it's passive, but like being in a fight, like you have to take action. You're not going to be passive if, you know, you're in a fight, you're attacking something, you're defending something like that requires something out of you. And, and the idea of what you just said, the mistakes businesses make, um, I don't know if you've read The Infinite Game yet. Um, yeah. but, but I mean, there was conversation. I listened to him on, uh, I believe it was mutual friend, Ryan Hawks learning leader yeah. podcast. And he yeah. talked about how he once made a, just a slight to somebody at Microsoft about how Apple had done really well at a new project or, or it was the reverse. And the guy was like, Oh, okay, no big deal. Like he wasn't fired up. It was like, you know, they win some, you win Good some, but you're yeah. not focused on just beating them. You're focused on continual improvement on winning your fight. Um, and so that's what I appreciate is of hearing that reiterated because you're right. There's so many companies right now still talking about growth, still talking about, you know, all of these things when it should be like, how can we be a resource? How can we help the individuals in our fight? How can we, you know, make changes as part of this global scale? Because I think when we get out of this, customers are going to remember the companies who have been hammering sales down their throat right now. And yeah. the companies who have been reaching their hand out and just saying, Hey, how can we help you? How can we connect with you? Yeah. Well, so the other thing when it's a fight too, is that your fight doesn't change when the circumstances changes, just your strategy does. Like, so um, earlier in the year, I was working with um, a, a good friend of mine who runs a chain of sort of, I don't want to call them personal training because it's different than that, but a chain of fitness studios in Canada. And obviously Canada is going through the same shutdown everyone else is. So gyms are closed. Yep. And they're, but they're, they are really serious and really crystallized their, their fight. Like, and you can even attach it to this. Cause one of the things we're seeing already is the more physically fit you are before you get infected with something like this, or even seasonal flu, the better your outcome chances are. Right. So they're really serious about the fact that we're not, we're not training elite athletes here catering to that. We're getting everyday people in the kind of shape where they can be functional and live a better life. That's what we're fighting for. I would call that in the book, the ally fight, right? Yep. The gym shut down, but that team is really motivated by the fight. Within five days, they had figured out all of the technical issues and all of the stuff that they needed to do to convert every single client to be able to actually meet online with his or her trainer, have that trainer. It's not just pre-recorded workout videos like everybody is shipping off right now. Like I, I am a member of a different gym and all they've sent me are these crappy pre-recorded, they look like, yeah. they look like <laughs> jazzercise, right? No, they're, they're on watching their form, coaching people through it. They're doing it live every single, uh, with every single client. So their personal training business, I mean, completely pivoted around in five days. Why? Because the fight doesn't change when your circumstances change, your tactics change, your strategy changes, which is why mission, vision, values, it needs to be much more than just that strategy piece. It needs to be why, like to, to use the, to harp on the growth thing, growth would be the equivalent of saying, uh, congratulations team. We have moved from going 65 miles an hour to 75 miles an hour. Where are we going? Tell me that and tell me what's, what's good or bad about like, why are we going there? And if you tell me that when the car runs out of gas, I will walk. And when I can't walk, I will crawl. Right. When you tell me all of that sort of stuff, that's a whole different thing than just, Hey, congrats. We're going a little faster now. 
Absolutely. One of the things I want to ask you that I think is pertinent to our listeners, we have a lot of people on the show uh, up and coming in their career. They're in their management position for the first time, or they're at the director level, maybe just below that C-suite. And they're hearing this and they're thinking, man, that would be awesome. I would love to rally my team, but the top doesn't see it this way. How can I help start a fight within my team, within my department, even if we're not getting that support from the top just yet? Yeah. So a a couple things. The first thing I would say is that we have to start with some clarity around where your team is with the larger corporate purpose, right? Like the, where I am now in dealing with a lot of organizations, consulting, speaking with them, well, nobody's speaking with them right now, but you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Is that a lot of senior leaders think they have a good purpose, right? They did the, the mission statement workshop 10 years ago. They inscribed on a glass plaque, put it in headquarters, and that's supposed to motivate everybody. Um, and what they do a bad job is, is helping people sort of the technical term in psychology literature is job crafting, right? Craft is sort of how a sense of. So the first thing you need to do as an individual manager is get some clarity on where you currently are. And I encourage a lot of people to do that with two simple questions, right? Just ask your team and individually, right? And, and alone, they're not in trouble. This isn't like some confrontation thing, but you want to chat with each person alone and you want to ask them two questions. What do we do here? And how does what you do help us do that? Right, so what do we do here? Use your own words to describe why we do what we do. A lot of people, especially disengaged people, are going to be like, oh, well, we sell this, right? Okay, all right. But some people are going to talk about the broader thing behind that, the way that we're trying to change the industry, the way that we're doing this, whatever. Like my dentist is actually a great example, right? His dentist should be super boring. He listened to Pick a Fight. The next time I came in, he was talking about his broader mission. And so then he left and I'm stuck with the hygienist. And I asked her, I was like, you know, what, you know, what is this place about? And like, we're trying to reinvent dentistry so people aren't afraid and they actually get taken care of stuff. And I was like, oh, damn, yeah. He's That's really, good. Probably, sorry, I shouldn't have cursed there. But it's okay. You're how fine. passionate I get about this thing. So if your people can give you a good answer to that, you're, you're good. That's like a barometer yeah. is the how we do, how, what do we do here question. The second question, how does what you do help us do that? That's where the individual team manager comes in. If they can see how their role contributes to that larger purpose, then they're probably pretty engaged. You will find most people can't answer that question very well. We actually do a terrible job in what, in the psychology literature, you can see why I changed all the names, by the way, because all the literature has boring terms. In the psychology literature, it's called task significance, which just means can people see the finished product, the end result that the company does from their individual actions. Yep. And that's really your job as the, the manager or leader to really focus on is bring them that task significance. Share with them stories of people whose lives have changed because of the work that you do, or at least made easier because of the work that you do. Share with them stories that if they're motivated by what I call the revolutionary fight, which is the fight to change the industry. My dentist is the revolutionary fight. Share with them stories about how you are changing the industry step by step or about how things in the industry are still bad and that will make them angry and then more motivated, right? Your job becomes that sort of chief storyteller so that they feel that level of significance. But you can't do that until you get clarity. So the clarity piece is key. What do we do here and how does what you do help us do that? Oh, I love it. I love it. That ties in so well to some of the things we talk about, about accountability within an organization too, is people don't commit and aren't bought in if they don't know why their job matters, like what their role is and and why it matters. And so I love hearing you echo that. This book for anyone listening that has to be fascinated by it, I can say as someone who listened to it very quickly on some walks, uh, when all my travel- Walks with the weighted vest, is that- With the weighted vest. I've got to get, I'm telling you, man, during quarantine, it's like my pantry is a black hole. I'm I'm disappearing in there and coming out with boxes of (laughs) Cheez-Its and- Anything you can think of, uh, I've got to stay moving throughout the day. And especially like you, 
I'm, I'm used to traveling like this at yeah. this point, like if my June event gets postponed, which is likely, uh, I'll have been home from March 12th till like August 10th, which is the longest stretch I've had in over a decade of being yeah. home. Um, and so, yeah, getting out, of getting out on those walks is big, but I, I knocked that thing out because it is, it, it's two ish hours. It's easy to consume. And it's a great story, especially for all of us that are working right now. And even those of us that are in that career transition, this may be a great opportunity when you start interviewing with new organizations to interview them, to make sure they have a fight. It's a great place for you to be that aligns with you. Where can people pick up a copy of this audiobook? And then more importantly, you've done a fantastic job on your website of sharing resources for after reading to utilize within an organization. Uh, tell us where we can find out both the book and then get connected with you and the resources. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you if you're if you're a longtime listener to the show, I mean, if you're listening this long, you're part of the special end of the podcast club, right? You actually listened all the way to the end. So the easiest place for you to go would be like double tap the cover art and check out the show notes. It's there. Um, B-U-R-K-U-S is my last name. So when I say DavidBurkus.com, it's uh, it's luckily all those domains are open. So I can give you that one. Um, from there, you can find out more about the book. You can grab yeah, a lot of those different resources, including, especially if you're a new manager, et cetera, we've got this thing we call three days to a more aligned and motivated team or motivated and aligned team. I never remember which one comes first um, that you'll, you'll want to check out. And then the audiobook itself is available pretty much anywhere you can get audiobooks. We're, we did it. We launched it exclusively with Audible, but they put it on uh, iBooks or whatever Apple is calling their thing now and Spotify, wherever else you like to listen to, to audiobooks. So, I mean, to me, whatever app is next to your podcast app on your phone, so you're listening on your podcast app on your phone right now, I bet the next app over is your audiobooks app and it is there. And, and if it's not, mine is somewhere buried in a folder that I always have to swipe uh, to the right and then go into the search function and just type it in to pop back up. You would think by now I would figure it out no, where it so is. I'm a, so I'm alone. It's, yeah, they're right next uh, to each yeah, other. Oh, right yeah, right next to each other. So anyone listening, we will be linking not only to David's website, uh, but we'll be linking you to there in Audible, iTunes, anywhere so you can get a copy of this. Listen to it, especially while you're at home. If you've lost your commute, throw it in on the headphones go on an afternoon walk, weight vest optional, uh, and start listening to this for you. And even if you're in that career transition, I would challenge you that this is a great book to dive into so that you can better evaluate where your next career stop is. David, last question, where are you most active on social media? Uh, right now, I'm most active on LinkedIn, actually. I feel like for the last couple of years, that's where grownups have run to. Right, right. Facebook is great. Instagram's great. I'm not a fitness model, so I don't do a lot on Instagram. Um, Twitter is a bunch of journalists yelling at each other, but LinkedIn is where like grownups are having conversations about the workplace. And so I've been, I don't even think LinkedIn knows that. I don't know that they were ready, but I've been fascinated by the community that's building around there. So that would be the single best place. I would, uh, I would have to agree. I, I've spent more and more time on there the last year. Uh, and once you get past the mass spam emails of like, hey, let's connect, <laughs> have a question, and then blah, blah, blah. Let me tell you all about myself and vomit on you. Uh, it's actually a great place for talking about topics like this, of career growth, of, of all these kind of things that the other platforms don't quite give you. So um, definitely hop on there. Follow David on LinkedIn. We'll link to that as well in the show notes. Man, thanks for hanging out this afternoon. Man, thank you so much for having me. It was great. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast. To get in touch with me or the show, email us at podcast at competeeveryday.com. 
to join our free Facebook community and get connected with other ambitious leaders working to win their work, their workouts, and their life, be sure to visit us at facebook.com slash groups slash compete every day. Until the next episode, keep competing every single day because your life is worth it.